from the newsroom of the Washington Post. Washington Post. This is Colby. Yeah, yeah. Hello, Mr. Newhall. I'm Washington Post. Hi, it's Stephanie McCrumman. This is Post Reports. I'm Alexis Diao, in for Martine Powers. It's Thursday, April 29th. Today, what you need to know about going maskless. And another chance at the 2020 Olympics. There are many situations where fully vaccinated people do not need to wear a mask. Particularly if they are outdoors. If you are fully vaccinated and want to attend a small outdoor gathering... The CDC has said that if you are fully vaccinated, you may now resume a lot of the activities you used to do, especially outdoors. Lena Sun covers health and science for The Post. Unmasked. On the CDC website, we have posted examples of numerous outdoor activities that are safe to do without a mask if you are fully vaccinated. And the reason for those changes is that CDC science has shown that transmission outdoors is really, really low and the risk to you and your loved ones is really, really low. Therefore, if you are fully vaccinated and that means you are two weeks past your last shot, you can go outside, go for a walk, a bike ride, jog, meet friends for dinner at a restaurant outdoors, gather in small groups outdoors with family and friends and not have to wear a mask. Now, indoors, even if you're fully vaccinated and you decide you're going to go to the grocery store to pick up some stuff, you are still encouraged to wear a mask because there are more people in the grocery store. You don't know what the vaccination status is of your other shoppers. Well, break that down for me a a little bit more, Lena. So if I am fully vaccinated, I can do certain activities outside safely without a mask on. But are there any exceptions to that? Yes. So you basically want to think about this on a risk scale. There is nothing that is zero risk. And things that are less risky on the low end would be outdoors, walking in the park when there's not very many people around. But even if you're outdoors and you're, let's say, going to a ball game or going to a concert or any place where there are crowds and you're going to be around people for a longer period of time, your risk goes up. And so for that reason, CDC is still recommending that even if you are fully vaccinated, if you're going to a sporting event or a concert or performance in a crowded setting, that you still wear a mask. And you just think about it, it makes sense, right? This is an airborne virus. If you're sitting shoulder to shoulder next to somebody at the ballpark and there are people around you and people are coughing or shouting or whatever, the virus is going to be out there and it's more likely that you will breathe it in and you will be more protected if you're wearing a well-fitted mask. The things to remember are that The risk is based on a couple of factors, right? Indoors, outdoors, size of crowd, how long you're going to be around those people and how well ventilated those areas are. So that's why indoors is always going to be riskier than outdoors. But what about if you're having a gathering and some people are halfway vaccinated and some people are fully vaccinated and you're outside, maskless, having a picnic, for example? Well, if you're having a picnic with like a whole bunch of people outdoors, 
that is going to be less risky, right? But because of the size, and you don't know if some of those other people have been vaccinated, they are recommending that you still wear a mask. So what they did was they put out this chart, this infographic that's on their website, and it's color-coded. The green activities are the ones that are safest, but then they break it down. If you're unvaccinated, what do you do? And if you're vaccinated, what do you do in terms of wearing a mask? And there are only a couple activities where you don't have to wear a mask regardless of your vaccination status. And one is going for a walk or biking or jogging outdoors. And I think the second one is dining outdoors at a restaurant. And did the CDC have anything to say about what activities indoors are perhaps less risky now? I mean, say going to the gym. Well, going to the gym would not be less risky. Indoors, less risky would be if you're fully vaccinated and I invite you over to my house for dinner and my husband and I are fully vaccinated, we could have a nice dinner without masks. That's safer than me deciding I want to go to the gym, which is indoors, and work out where I will be breathing mostly very heavily and you might be breathing heavily next to me. And you're in an indoor space, right? Unless the gym is like an outdoor gym, it's indoors and we're all in there huffing and puffing. It's more crowded. It doesn't have as good ventilation. And you're in there for, let's say, an hour. You need to wear a mask. They're recommending that you keep your mask on for gym, going to the movie theater. If you're going into a mall or a store to keep your mask on. And a lot of it also involves just common sense. You know, It's interesting, Lena, thinking and talking about these things that, you know, pre-pandemic times used to be normal, like going to a baseball game, for example. It seems like that would be a really fun thing to do, but actually hearing you describe what that would be like with people with their masks down, I'm imagining people eating hot dogs and like yelling, and I'm having a visceral response. Like, I'm just not ready to be in a situation like that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, if you think about it, right, some of the activities that have the highest risk involve If you're going to be around people shouting, singing, yelling, anything that's going to take all the virus that's in somebody else's mouth and lungs and spewing it out, right? If you're going for a walk in the woods or going on a hike with a friend or two, you're up there, they're back there, you're not breathing the same air. But if you're indoors and you are on the treadmill and somebody else is on the elliptical and everybody's going... (sighs) and they're not vaccinated, then it's a higher risk. But for some people, especially during the pandemic, it's now been more than a year, it may be very important for them to be able to go to the gym or do these things. That is your own calculation of risk, right? You want to take that risk and you want to do it and you're going to wear a mask and you're going to go for 15 minutes to the gym or, you know, give yourself a a time limit. That is a calculated risk that we all take every day. There's no way the CDC is going to say these 12 activities are okay and these 15 are not because everything is different. If you're a parent and you want to take the kids to the playground and you are fully vaccinated, the kids probably are okay without masks because it's just you guys, right? But you go to a crowded playground, then it's the definition of what is the crowd or how comfortable do you feel with the other people? Do you know if they're vaccinated? And what if you hear like the kids coughing or 
you know, sounding sick. It, those are all internal individual calculations that we all need to figure out. These are just guidelines. Well, I'm curious about how parents are supposed to function and fully vaccinated parents are supposed to function when their kids obviously don't have the vaccine. What about in dinner parties or in smaller settings? I mean, what's the risk calculation there? Right. In smaller settings, the CDC has already said that if you're fully vaccinated, you can get together with another household of unvaccinated people indoors safely as long as there's no one in that household who is at high risk of getting sick. So let's say grandparents are fully vaccinated. They want to go visit their daughter's family, the daughter, the husband, two kids, and everybody's healthy. Then you don't need to wear a mask. And the kids don't need to wear a mask. But the grandparents, let's say they go visit the daughter, the husband, the two kids. But let's say either the daughter or the husband is having chemotherapy. So they're immunocompromised. Then that person is at higher risk of getting disease. And so it would be better if you wore masks. Even if they're vaccinated? Even if they're vaccinated, they need to talk to their doctors. I mean, even if they're vaccinated, their immune systems are just not going to be as strong. You might not, you're not going to likely get as strong of a boost to the vaccine. And so for this particular group of people, the CDC advises that you talk to your healthcare provider, even if you're fully vaccinated. It's interesting because with these new guidelines, there's also this sense of like, it's almost become a social norm to just wear your mask whenever you're outside of your home. I mean, I've gotten used to even like wearing my mask on hikes in the woods, which now seems kind of ridiculous. There's no one else around. I think that, you know, it would help to make it a social norm instead of making it a political fight. In many other countries, even before the pandemic, that is what they did. And I would note that in many countries in East Asia, it was very easy to get people to understand this because they wore masks in the wintertime anyway to avoid getting the flu or getting a cold. Um, In some countries, the pandemic has taken very, very little um, impact on death. In Singapore, they have had a total of 30 deaths. That is three zero. They've had a total of 30 deaths. And people have been very good about following public health um, measures, not to go outside without a mask and social distancing. And, you know, it's it's not like you're you're being asked to strap some kind of heavy piece of machinery on your back or something, right? It's a piece of cloth, just slip it on. Lena, I'm curious how you have been calculating your risk, especially with the latest guidelines coming out from the CDC about masks. Well, I'm fully vaccinated. Woo! And I circled the date on the calendar when I was going to be 14 days past my second shot. And I circled it and I drew all these flowers around the calendar. And on that day, I remember going outside for a walk with a friend and we were both very happy. My friend is almost was almost there. And on the day that CDC announced the new guidance about not having to wear masks outdoors, after I filed my story, I went outside for a walk in the afternoon on that day. It was particularly warm and sunny. I didn't have my mask on. I walked outside. I just felt really happy 
and a sense of relief. And I still carry the mask in my pocket because I'm indoors, outdoors. If I was walking in the stairwell and there were construction folks um, moving furniture, I immediately put my mask back on. You just keep it handy because, you know, you can drive to the store and not have to wear the mask in your car, but you want to have it handy in your pocket to put on when you're going to the grocery store. It's like wearing a seatbelt. I don't really even think about it. I just keep it in my pocket. But when I'm outside and I don't need to wear it for a walk, it's just glorious. Lena Sun covers health and science for The Post. This story was produced by Lena Mohammed. Rick Mace, it is 2021. Are we going to be seeing Olympics 2020 happening this year? I wish I could tell you a definitive answer to that. What I can tell you is that everyone is planning on it right now, but there are so many fears, so many uncertainties circulating. People are all keeping an eye on the rising COVID numbers in Japan and waiting to see how the the local officials there react. Well, give me a profile of what we do know about the Olympics, assuming that it will go forward. Where is it? When will it be? When will it begin? Things like that. Yeah, so right now we're less than three months away. The opening ceremonies are scheduled for July 23rd. If you're tuning in on TV, you might not notice any difference. You're going to see a lot of the familiar athletes. You're going to see all your favorite sports. It's really on the ground in Tokyo where it might feel and look different. We don't know if there's going to be spectators allowed in the Olympics. We don't know if there's going to be all the pomp and circumstance you usually associate with this giant sports festival that exists only once every four years. What we do know is there's going to be a lot of restrictions, a lot of safety protocols in place. Athletes aren't going to show up, go to the opening ceremony, march through the parade. They're going to get to Tokyo. They're going to check into the Olympic Village. They're going to compete in their event, and they're going to board an airplane going home. So are they currently planning on doing something like what we saw with the NBA and having everybody in a bubble? I mean, how are they planning on pulling this off? In the past year, we've seen a lot of sporting events around the world that have been successfully staged. The Olympics are just much bigger in scale. Um, There's athletes from more than 200 countries, uh, usually about 11,000 athletes. So we're not going to see a strict bubble that you kind of have seen in in, in some instances. There's still going to be a lot of protocols and and safety precautions in place. Well, like, Like what? I I know that they're not going to be requiring COVID vaccinations for athletes, but how are they planning on keeping them safe and healthy and also safe from each other? Um, On Wednesday, they released an updated playbook for athletes. That's sort of their rule book with restrictions and protocols. Um, And for athletes, it really starts before anyone even boards an airplane. Everyone will have to take at least two COVID tests in the days before hitting the airport, and then they'll have to take a third one when they land in Tokyo. Um, And this is also new. While there's no extended quarantine, athletes will be largely confined to their room for the first three days in Tokyo. They'll need three straight days of negative tests before they can start moving around the Olympic Village a bit more freely. And even then, they'll be tested each day for the virus. So they're not going to be allowed to use public transportation, no restaurants, no bars, more shops. Everyone on the ground at these Olympics is going to have at least two smartphone apps. They'll be expected to log in, mark their movements, and it's information that'll be used for contact tracing because the the biggest fear is that there'll be some kind of outbreak that impacts not just one or two athletes, but the entire Olympic Village. Wow. Okay, so that's intense. And and what what is the plan if that does happen? Like, what if an athlete actually tests positive for COVID? 
Yeah, Olympic officials are still working out a lot of these details, and we're hoping that some will actually be announced and shared with us this week. But what we do know is that if any athlete tests positive with COVID-19, their Olympics will essentially be over. They will not be allowed to compete. They'll be isolated, possibly hospitalized, and uh, somehow they'll, they'll be rooted back to their home country as soon as possible. And what's at risk here if the Olympics don't happen this year? If for some reason these games are canceled and don't take place, um, you're talking about billions of dollars that have been spent. Um, you're talking about a country that has staked a big chunk of its its reputation, not to mention energy and resources, and it's all for naught. There's, there's really going to be nothing to show for it except some infrastructure, some big buildings that were supposed to, to host events. The Olympics will just kind of pack up their circus and move on to the next town. And in addition to that, I'd imagine that Olympians who have been working toward this for a really long time aren't going to be able to have their time to shine. And then, of course, if you're an older athlete, that's it. Right. I mean, the Olympics are all about the athletes, and that's who you really feel for in this. For the most part, Olympic athletes aren't people we pay attention to year round. They're people we notice once every four years. When they postponed the games by a year, it clearly meant that some young athletes, and I'm thinking of a 16 or 17-year-old, maybe it's a gymnast or a swimmer, um, they were going to benefit from that extra year of seasoning and experience. But there's a lot of other athletes on the other side of the spectrum. That extra year was really going to cost them their Olympic eligibility and endanger their chances of, of winning a medal. And I'm thinking of some familiar names, a swimmer Ryan Lochte, a sprinter Allison Felix. You know, they're, they're in their mid-30s. They don't have a lot more years to compete. But I'm curious, how did the International Olympic Committee actually come to the decision of having the Olympics this year? I mean, we are very much still in the middle of a global pandemic. Yeah, well, if we think back to last year and those early days, the the case numbers weren't high, uh, the the death toll wasn't high, but certainly the fear um, and the concerns were were skyrocketing on a day-to-day basis. And I'd say the IOC and the, the Tokyo Organizing Committee uh, reluctantly decided to postpone the games. The options were really to try to pull it off that summer, which increasingly became uh, you know, l- less likely, uh, to cancel the games altogether, um, or to postpone by a year. And I think the, the decision that everyone thought made the most sense and that kind of allowed athletes to continue working toward their dreams was this year-long postponement. And and what about Japan? So, I mean, if it's being held in Tokyo, it, it, do they share the same sentiment as the IOC? It's going to be now or never. I mean, I, I just imagine that they've built this Olympic village and then it'll just be a ghost town if it doesn't happen. We're really seeing a lot of tension that's be, that's begun to surface lately. Japan has been very slow to vaccinate its people. Its COVID numbers uh, continue to rise. Tokyo just entered a third state of emergency. You're really seeing public sentiment, which was never particularly high, has really suffered for these Olympics. And what is the case count actually like there? So Japan, compared to the United States or a lot of uh, European countries, um, the cases are actually very low. Right now, they're seeing anywhere from three to 4,000 a day, which compared to the United States seems like a very small number. But for them, this is their largest new caseload they've seen since January. But what we kind of hear whispers of is that Tokyo officials, Japanese officials, they're much more wary of staging these games than maybe IOC and some of the outsiders. So, Rick, I want to ask you some questions about the Olympics itself, like assuming that it happens and it's going to happen this summer, because not only is it going to happen in the middle of a global pandemic, but also, you know, Olympics 2020 was the year that they were planning on basically opening up the Olympic canon in a lot of ways, right? They were going to have different sports. So tell me a little bit about what makes these Olympics different than the past. Yeah, the Olympics are actually in this interesting stage of transition. Um, We're supposed to see skateboarding. We're supposed to see surfing. We're going to see BMX freestyle. We're going to see sport climbing. So they've added all these sports that you might associate more with the X Games or kind of adventure sports. And really the goal there is to recruit the new generation of Olympic fans, people that they're hoping will stick with the Olympics and enjoy the games for years to come. And 
As Americans cheering on Team USA, is there any sport or athlete that we should be paying particular attention to? Anyone that you're excited about um, being on stage this year? Yeah, I mean, Team USA always has a huge contingent. I think we're about 600 plus American athletes uh, competing at these Tokyo games. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, so there's going to be a lot of fun ones to watch. (laughs) Katie Ledecky is going to be up for five five gold medals. Kayla Dressel, another swimmer, is going to be up for as many as seven, possibly eight. Um, On the track, people looking for takeover Usain Bolt's thrown as the top sprinter. And there's a great American sprinter named Noah Lyles, who's going to try for the 100 and the 200. Um, and then some of these new sports are all going to have a lot of young up-and-coming athletes. Jimena Reynolds is a, is a skateboarder. Caroline Marks and Carissa Moore are top surfers. So there's a ton of talent, both familiar names and then some new ones that, uh, you know, I'm very excited to watch this summer. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it happens. <laughs> Rick Mace is a sports reporter for The Post. The story was produced by me, Alexis Diao. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was mixed by Renny Svernovsky. On Wednesday night, President Biden gave a speech marking his first 100 days in office. The Post's politics show, Can He Do That?, is taking a look at where Biden stands on the big promises he made and which of those he chose to highlight in that speech. Check out their show. It drops Thursday afternoon. I'm Alexis Diao. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.